0: Welcome to press coverage. I'm Theo Greminger. On press coverage, we want to give you sharp takes, we want actionable information, and we want to identify edges. Uh, the reason I started this podcast is I think it's getting harder and harder to find those actionable edges that can help us really, really win in fantasy. And I think my guest today is he's one of my favorite people to podcast with. Um, Mike has been extremely generous uh, with his time with me over the years, podcasting wise. And uh, this is his first time stepping into press coverage, but Mike is over at Establish the Run. He has an excellent podcast in Establish the Edge. Highly recommend those Uh, if you're just getting you know started for your home league draft. Really trying to get some like crash course preparedness. Mike has you covered with those ones. Mike, how are you doing today? And why don't you let everybody know where they can find you and what you have coming up around the corner at Establish the Run? Yeah, appreciate the intro, Theo. Always good to chat with you and. You know,
1: we're getting ready for the season over at Establish a Run. We've got all our rankings up for the different formats for for redraft and best ball, but also working hard on some DFS stuff. And we're going to have some new DFS prop stuff for this season, which I'm excited about. Props was really successful for us the past couple of seasons, but we've invested a lot on the data analytics side to kind of improve our ability to kind of take our, our base projections and apply a full range of outcomes to them. So that's going to have applications to DFS, to props. So I'm really excited for that.
0: Yeah, I mean, you guys definitely have a lot of really sharp people over at ETR. Adam Levitan was actually the very first guest on press coverage. So it's cool to kind of come full circle here. So you, you, you're a high stakes player. I think not everybody knows that about you. But like when you talk to people in the NFFC and the FFPC, there's a great deal of respect for you um, and your ability to put together very strong builds and dangerous teams, you know, pretty much any format. You're also talking about your DFS. I know you're in the best ball streets. Probably, you're probably in like 15 slow drafts right now. If you're like me, Mike, I, I wouldn't <laughs> want to see your cell phone. We'll, we'll, we won't even no, reveal. You don't that. want to see it. And then you're Especially also coming wanna... back from vacation.
1: It was like, okay, let's join every draft I can because I haven't been able to draft for for the first half of
0: August. I heard you were in Italy. Did you did you manage to get some at least some slow draft picks in there, or were you completely locked out? I finished some drafts but i was really
1: like i wanted to detach so i was cognizant of not getting in too many so i finished some drafts auto drafted some ends of drafts but uh then came back and i'm in a in a bunch on dk a bunch on underdog just trying to fill the their main uh lotto contest you could call them
0: you're also in a high stakes dynasty league with me um a i believe we're in a, a triflex uh league yes. over on ffpc so you play everything DFS, you're grinding, uh, best ball, redraft, dynasty. What's your favorite format, Mike? What gives you the most enjoyment in fantasy? Oh, I think dynasty, honestly.
1: Um, it's tough to say, like, you know, each redraft, dynasty, best ball, DFS, like they all have an element that I really like, but there's something about dynasty that I really enjoy, I like the long-term building and, you know, being able to like, even if your team's bad, like you still have actions that you can take to make your team better in the long run. So like, you're always kind of in it and involved. So that's probably my favorite um, best ball dynasty. When you combine the two would be my
0: ultimate favorite. Cause uh, not having to set waiver wire is, uh, is is up there on my priority list. Yeah. And a hat tip to the people who avoid drafts and are able to enjoy their Wednesday evenings for, for me, it's a, <laughs> it's like a near panic attack heading up to 10 PM, I don't, I don't record on Wednesdays, Mike. It's just, it's just like, it's a tough day, man. It's a tough day. You got to be so organized. So kudos to you for handling all that. And it's, I don't want to do too many like formats. So I try to keep everything FFPC and and some NFFC because bouncing around is like the worst thing ever. But you know, you get dragged into some sleepers, some MFLs and uh, you're, you end up doing it anyway. So uh, it's a labor of love. It's this thing of ours, and we're, we're going to keep grinding with it. But one question that I've asked every single guest of mine on First Class Fantasy with Billy Muzio, um, which you were on, by the way, but you missed this question because it was a little too early, and uh, and here at Press Coverage is, like, you put a lot of thought into your rankings, Establish the run. You guys do very well. I know you guys have deep thoughts and process with it. If you could know the final stats of any single player in the NFL this year, who would it be? Maybe a guy with a wide range of outcomes, maybe a guy who unlocks his teammates, but what guy maybe gives you the biggest pause. And if you could know how the season ends for them, which one would you pick Mike? Sorry, I cut
1: out there for a second. If I could know the stat of any final player, who would I pick?
0: Any single player in the
1: league. I feel like you'd want someone that's like a little bit in the later rounds to really get that value or like mid later round um I just maybe like Brees Hall I'd go go with where right now you can get him the fifth sometimes but being able to build around him as like a hero RB build with him um which can be tough because you don't know how he's going to start the season how long it's going to take what the exact share with Dalvin Cook is going to be so knowing his final stat line and like weekly, how it was accumulated, I think would be, uh,
0: pretty profitable. That's definitely an interesting one. We haven't gotten too many Brees Halls. Uh, this has been definitely an interesting question. A lot of people were Anthony Richardson. I've been a Deshaun Watson one. Um, okay. Rich Rebar wanted to somehow monetize this. He went full Biff Tannen, which I thought was interesting. Um, but most people, you know, like you said, we had a bunch of Darius Tonys actually, Uh, early on especially because I think you know what he did kind of unlocked a lot but it's definitely a great way of thinking about the season when we come back we're going to dive into some league winners Uh, Mike's going to help us dissect the Seattle backfield uh, and we're going to hear a number of other players Mike is very very high on at ADP
2: hey we got to talk about rival fantasy today rival fantasy they're a huge supporter of everything we do the podcast channel the YouTube channel it's possible because of rival and they have an incredible new offer With promo code PLAYER, promo code PLAYER, you double your deposit up to $200 and you get $25 in bonus bucks. So it's $225 additional to play in NFL preseason. You can do their props on the fantasy book where it's over, under, over, under, over, under, up to five guys. The more over-unders you hit, the higher your payout. And they have their challenges for the community. You can say, hey, I think that Player X is going to go over this many fantasy points. And someone takes you up on it. They take the other side. It's great. I love their fantasy bingo where you can do five across, you can do four in the corner, black it out, just predicting fantasy points on your favorite players, especially in preseason. The promo code is PLAYER where they match your deposit up to $200 plus those $25 in bonus bucks. This offer is insane.
0: Welcome back to press coverage. I'm here with Mike Leone of Establish the Run. Mike, you know, I, I've loved what you put out with established the Edge. I think it's been it's been really, really high quality content. I love the Ben Gretsch ones. I really enjoyed the Hayden Winks one. And a shout out to my guy, Jack Miller, who filled in admirably for you when you were on vacation. I thought he had some really good takes. But want to take a step back. You've drafted an absolute ton this year, especially in best ball, but also in redraft. What's your favorite spot to pick out of right now in a traditional snake format? Yeah, I think it's somewhere in that five to seven range,
1: um, especially like FFPC Titan Premium with Kelsey in there in that top seven where, you know, obviously the first two or three players, I think have a different level of safety and ceiling, but I think there's a clear first tier there. And then coming back in the middle of the second round, I think there's another tier drop off where that two, three turn can get a little hairy there where you're, you know, maybe taking some fragile running backs or you're taking some wide receivers that maybe don't belong and in previous years wouldn't have been pushed up so early or you're building Ronnie Lee QB. Like there's some things you can do to manage it, but I feel more comfortable in the middle there getting like, you know, whoever's last of that first tier of seven. We just started an FFP slow draft with Jack Miller, Mark bring and we kind of had this happen where we got Austin Eckler at seven, just last of the tier. Then coming back, we got Mark Andrews in round two with the tight end premium pushing him up. Um, if it wasn't tight end premium, we could have gone Jalen Waddle there. But I felt like there was another tier drop off there.
0: Yeah, it's definitely uh, interesting that you know some people like the middle of this year. You kind of avoid the runs also, where you're able to spot them kind of a little bit and not really get as jammed when you're picking on the ends. And it's interesting you bring up the the one two turn. Uh, or excuse me, you bring up the the two, three turn. Um, And that's one where I always feel like you're like a pick or two away from getting exactly what you want. And then you get, you get sniped. It's, it's very painful. I'm doing one with uh, Andrew Geller, uh, the guilds and Andrew Schellenberg uh, right now, a slow main event. And we ended up with Justin Jefferson, of course, at the one-on-one. And then we were one pick away from a Devonta Smith, Jalen hurts. Um, And, and this guy timed out. And then he complained about the timeout in a two-hour clock. We're like, we're like, ask the FFPC to reverse it. Don't worry about it. And then we sit there uh, laboring. We took Jalen Hurts, and then we labor and labor about the second pick. You try to be unique. You try to be dangerous at the same time. We ended up with Jameer Gibbs um, early, kind of ahead of ADP at the at the three hundred one. Uh, but it's definitely interesting. What? Who have been some of the ways? You know, let's say you get Justin Jefferson at the one hundred one, Mike. Who have been the ways you've you've tried to, to change it up? And let's we can take this to underdogs. I know you've done a ton of those where you see so many common starts. It's almost impossible to have a, you know, in a, a unique build in that sort of a contest. But what do you feel like has been like your most dangerous builds from the one spot?
1: Yeah, I'm trying to, you know, I'm somewhat boring at the two, three turn in the sense that like if I'm trying to get unique, it's via like really good ADP value later and mixing things up. I'm not one to generally make a big reach at the two, three turn. I know some people think pretty differently. You mentioned the Hertz Devonta Smith stack. That's generally like what I'm trying to get at the two, three turn. So a lot of times, even if I'm like pick two or three, like I'll take Devonta Smith hoping I get Hertz on the way back. And it was easier there for a while. Now that we've got some like running back scares there that it's just happening. Less likely. uh I generally take Chris Olave there when he falls, just because I don't really get him unless I'm taking him at that two, three turn. um But I, I'm a little, you know, I'm kind of just a mix of T Higgins in there, who were a little bit higher on than the market. And then I do think it's okay to go elite quarterback there, though, and figure out the stacking later. Like, so even if you don't get the Devonta Smith stack with Hurts, you know, you can figure something out with Hurts. You can figure something out with Josh Allen. Um, that's probably my more dangerous build is like taking Allen there and then trying to figure out the stacking later, which matters
0: a bit more in the underdog format. Let's go back on T Higgins. Cause I think that's an interesting one, Mike, and we're looking at league winners and in terms of talent, um, you know, the talent is unquestioned. It's really a, a question of, it's kind of like an eye of the beholder thing with T where we've actually seen Calvin Ridley jump him. When we talked in late May, we were talking about you know Calvin Ridley versus Christian Kirk, and you were wisely on the the Calvin Ridley side, and I was a little bit surprised that they weren't a little closer in ADP. It's been, it's been like a roller coaster ride for for Ridley getting pushed up and pushed up and pushed up. We saw him flip uh, T Higgins uh, on Underdog, and now we're starting to see you know that in redraft. So like the. The T. Higgins tier, we'll call it the DK Metcalf T. Higgins tier. It's a little bit polarizing uh for drafters right now. Do you see T. Higgins as just an incredible value in the third round? We have we're high on him at player profiler as well. Billy Muzio, who does fantastic rankings for us, he's big on T this year. I know you are as well, but some people look at T and they say that like kind of a purgatory player there won't get the volume. What do you say to that?
1: Yeah, I mean, qualitatively, like I totally understand that. Like I kind of like I don't know. I kind of rather have Devonta Smith, like, uh, you know, T feels a little bit boring there, you know, you know, he's not going to surpass Jamar chase without an injury. Like like Devonta Smith could surpass AJ Brown, right? Like that could happen just on talent, how things go, the variance of the season that can't happen for T Higgins, but kind of when we look at the math on our projections, just the combination of still a really solid target share for a number two wide receiver. And, and Gretch and I talked about this a lot on, the established the edge off seasons projections podcast is like not getting too hung up on who's wide receiver one, who's wide receiver two. Like investing in these offenses that can support a lot of wide receiver fantasy points, and the pass rate over expectation for Cincinnati is good. The pace is a little bit better. Um, Burrow's a really strong quarterback. I think too, when you look at Higgins's target share and you take out a couple of those games where he was banged up last year, it starts to look a little bit better. It's a little if you just look at it over the course of this season, it's kind of boring. But he had one game where, like, he played like one snap, right? Like he was like basically you know, basically inactive, active. So, um, and then you do have some contingent value, like it's you know, there's like you know, five percent chance like any given player gets hurt, you know, Jamar Chase goes down in front of him, and then you're looking at a massive target share with Joe Burrow. So I think like the combination of all those factors make it makes him a pretty good pick for us, even though. Purely on feel, I understand why he
0: is, as you put it, a purgatory pick. Yeah, I, I like him. I, I'm fine taking him. I've, I don't. I feel a little better when he falls to the mid third. But I yeah. think another interesting thing is, you know, we've seen Tyler Boyd is still a solid player in the NFL, but but in terms of fantasy asset, he's regressed considerably. And then we also saw a number of vacated targets with Hayden Hurst and Samaje Pirine where maybe Chris Evans. Uh, and Irv Smith definitely uh, don't feel like they're going to get quite as much usage. So potentially, you know, T could, could see an uptick there and they're just a little bit more consolidated. So I'm I'm in on it. Um, was definitely interested to hear your thoughts on that. Let's talk about the 1-2 turn though, Mike. We've talked about the 101 and how you're handling the 2-3 the turn. The 1-2 turn is kind of universally loved by people these days. They don't love the, you don't love picking a 3-4 turn always. But at that 1-2 turn, you feel like you're walking away with an incredibly dangerous start. You have kind of the ability to to go running back, you have the ability to go wide receiver and in FFPC we've seen a couple of people push Mandrews to that level um you know to get that elite tight end. Where do you, where, where do you feel the most dangerous? Like who are the two players or three or four players that are really standing out to you in that range? Let's say you had one main event from the 12 hole.
1: Yeah, I'm pro- if I have just one main event, what I'm probably doing is going Double tapping wide receiver with like Amon Ross, CD Lamb, Devontae Adams. I'm generally higher than the market on Devontae Adams this year is no different. And at least right now, I'm gonna hope to take advantage at the three, four turn of some of the the running back FUD. Can I get Ramondre Stevenson at the three, four turn? You know, um, Josh Jacobs at the three-four turn, which it sounds like his holdouts ending. So maybe that won't happen uh anymore. But Or, you know, even Brees Hall, it's a little early at 4-1, but like somewhere around that 3-4 turn. So I think that's like the most dangerous team you can build. Is like really taking these huge wide receiver hits early, taking an upside swing on a running back that people are scared of due to some uncertainty in 3-4, 5-6. That's the way I'd like to do it. I do love Mark Andrews, but I think it's just a little too early to take him ahead of the – you know, Diggs, Amon Ra, Adams, Lamb, A.J. Brown, and i probably got those five wide receivers ahead of him.
0: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I, I haven't been able to do it with with Mark Andrews. Um, I know your friends Mike Shope and Adam Kratworth did it, and they liked the way that the build kind of fell for them. And I think that the argument taking Mandrews there is you can punt tight end and you don't have to dive back into it and kind of chase those, like, middle-class tight ends. Yeah. Um. And there's something to be said for that because you can extract a lot of running back and uh wide receiver value in those ranges. So um definitely not my preferred, but we're not looking down on the Mark Andrews drafter at the at the at the one, well, two. Turns. I do
1: and to your point, I do think sometimes in tight end premium, the very elite assets are valued appropriately, and then like the middle tier ones are overvalued. Um in this draft I'm in right now, by like the middle of the third round, you know, like Waller's off the board, and these, you know, Hawkinson goes in the second round, and, you know, those guys are okay. But then, even as you go down further the board, I think guys start to get pushed up and you feel a little bit of pressure. So sometimes it's like, yeah, I'll take a couple spots of poor value early to avoid taking even more spots of poor value later. Cause ultimately, you do need some tight end upside to win these FFPC contests.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I want to take a look at the, third round kind of in general it's an intriguing round but I think with the Brees Hall Dalvin Cook situation and potentially Zeke Elliott pushing Ramondre Stevenson down a little bit it did get a little bit weaker um, in terms of like surefire guys we could kind of lean into where are you at with the third round right now we can look at underdog ADP so you know just to refresh it T Higgins Jonathan Taylor Josh Allen Mark Andrews DK Metcalf, Josh Jacobs, Jameer Gibbs, Amari Cooper, Lamar Jackson, and Mondre, and we'll call Debo Samuel in that range as well. He sometimes gets selected in the third. Um, who are the guys you're trying to avoid in that range, Mike, and, and who are the guys that you feel very strongly about? Yeah, I'm a little bit scared of where Amari Cooper is being drafted
1: right now, getting pushed to Haddock, and Allen, Debo. Um, it's like middle of the third now. I think that's maybe asking for trouble, like drafting at this. It's a full, it's the... a
0: full, it's a full fade, Mike, right there. I mean, yeah. you got him in the seventh or eighth round last year, and now you've got to use a third round rounder on him, And the target competition has gone way up. Elijah Moore, Cedric Tillman, and Joku's got good reports out of camp. I'm, I'm way off of Amari. Of he's never had more than 130 targets. And I think he's probably back down to like 115, 120 with all those guys around him.
1: Yeah. So I get it structurally, but like, that's a tough one for me. Mondre's tough for me because I think like as he slips I want to kind of buy the dip, but he's a guy that we were lower on than the market kind of early so it's like this weird middle ground for us where I do think New England has a difficult schedule and if the offense struggles and you've got a volume dependent back with the offense struggling and then if you know coaches like Zeke for goal line work, they like him for pass protection, if you start losing some high value touches and the offense isn't good you know I'm definitely taking swings on Mondre if he falls into the fourth or three four term but like middle of the third I wasn't really drafting him before the Zeke stuff and 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 certainly not taking him there now. So those are two that I'm kind of avoiding. I'm leaning into the as you said it's a tough spot. So if I can get Josh Allen in round three, you know, I'll make it work with the elite quarterback. Even though typically I don't like to take a quarterback that early the game's changed. We need to adjust to it and looking to call the other third round I'm I'm into him and then I'm I like Debo a lot this year too. Um, I think with Purdy at the helm, the pass rates gonna be a little bit better than you know obviously what it was um, with him last year taking over for Trey Lance and the other quarterback injuries and just how that season went. I think they're gonna unleash Purdy a little bit more, and uh, the cost on Debo is just a little bit better than it was last year. So I, I like him in that middle of the third if I do have to go. Receiver. And I'm fine with Josh Jacobs again this year. Um,
0: you got a reputation, Mike. You were all over. You were you were counting the league winner last year. Now you've got to go back to the well. But he's certainly in a range where I don't think he's going to hurt you, especially because he's he's got kind of pushed down. Do you buy the narrative that Zamir White, by being there, by ha- playing well for the coaching staff, has earned a little bit more of a, a touches than you know potentially the number two backs last year? Or do you think it's all going to be the Josh Jacobs show when he shows up. I think it's gonna be the Josh Jacobs show when he
1: shows up. You know, it's his last year of the contract. They don't really have any reason to not feed him. Um there's a little bit of risk, like tail end of the season, I guess, where they want to give Zemir White touches and maybe Jacobs wants to like preserve his body, like if they're not in the playoff race or anything, which you know, they very well may not be. But I still think what we saw from him last year to be able to get that in
0: the third round is like pretty good risk reward. Now let's talk about the fourth round. I like your point on the elite quarterbacks. Cause I think that you avoid landmall landmines um, by taking, you know, a Hertz or an Allen, whoever, which one falls Lamar Jackson sometimes gets pushed up to the bottom of the third. I like him a lot as well, but when we get to the fourth round, this has been a traditional round where you're going to find some busts. I mean, we look back six months from now, there's going to be a couple guys and say, Why was the market pushing them into the fourth round? Um, You know, on underdog alone, you're kind of looking at the Jerry Judy, DJ Moore, Christian Watson, ETN, Najee Harris, Joe Mixon, Brees Hall. Then you're seeing Justin Fields get pushed up. Mike Williams has made a comeback. Um, Then there's a couple of other wide receivers like Drake London, Terry McLaurin, DeAndre Hopkins. So it's kind of a flat tier, in my opinion, and a lot of wide receivers who you could kind of see having – similar outcomes. Uh where where are you at with with this group? And let's start specifically with Judy versus Christian Watson, because right now I think that's a polarizing one for some FFPC drafters um, who are looking to get some high upside wide receiver play um in that fourth round. Yeah, it's difficult because I think they're both slightly overvalued by the market. Um,
1: I see the upside cases for both of them, right? Like we saw the big play potential from Watson last year. Now he's stepping into a situation where he could be targeted at a really heavily rate on top of that but you've also got some uncertainty with the quarterback playing the offense in general there um and a guy that just like i don't know if he's going to be that target earner people are hoping him you know in a full ppr format and judy like the judy sudden separation like i get why judy's going a few rounds higher than sudden but like six rounds higher i don't i don't know i don't know if it should be quite that stark of a gap Uh, i know his per route run stuff looks pretty good and some of his overall season stuff is doesn't look quite as strong because there's some time that he just missed in game. But um, I kind of like DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Williams at a little bit lower cost than those two players in that fourth round. Ultimately, I'm drafting pretty structurally where like if I already have a running back, I'll take any of those four guys that I mentioned in, in the fourth round and be be content with it.
0: I've been more into the Judys and Watsons when I can get them as my wide receiver three, like a hammer in the flex uh, that could potentially have some spike weeks. But I do think people are starting to get in a little bit of trouble with Judy. Um, that's been a guy that, you know, Billy and I have kind of been on, you know, for the greater course of the summer. But, Mike, we saw him go in the first round of a, of an NFFC 350 in, a, in like a go-get-your-guy type type moment. Um, and you're starting to see him get steamed up like really, really high up in some of these wide receiver-heavy formats. And I do think it's like they maybe like Cortland Sutton a little bit more than the fantasy community does um are you kind of back on the sutton's okay at value right now
1: yeah like he's not someone that i'm like jazz to draft but you're starting to get sudden in like you know the elijah moore type range um i I think he's really i think there's more upside there though than people think like i think it's a good bat obviously people are expecting Marvin Mims to kind of be a thing and Sutton to to go away a little bit. But it's also the price hasn't changed much, and Sutton's gotten a lot safer with the injuries to Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler. So before I started to be like, okay, maybe there's more risk here than I think. But with those injuries, I mean he's gonna have to play. He's definitely, you know, he's still. I didn't wide receiver peak age and he's flashed some big play potential. So I'm still kind of in on it. I don't think he has the target hog upside, obviously that Jerry Judy does, but uh, I think he's, you know, you're talking rounds eight, nine at this point point a, in a wide receiver rich environment, I think that's a perfectly
0: solid pick. And Greg Dulcich, Mike, I have not seen this sort of a, like this, a drop that this rapid, for a player that had a little bit of steam than I have for Greg Dulcich with some of these high stakes drafts. It's, it's actually incredible how much information there is out there because Dulcich was a guy that was going like near Dalton Kincaid, um, you know, in that like intriguing tight end range. And now he's just falling like a rock. Luke Musgrave has le- leapt him um, in most formats. Like I, I was in an, an NFFC primetime last night and no one wanted Dulcich. He went like in like the, I want to say he went in like the 16th round. Um, so he's really, really fallen. And at FFPC, people are, you know, pushing up a lot of people over him as well. So that, I think that also helps Sutton if he's not going to be a thing. Where are you at on Dulcich and the uh, the the chance to get him now in like the back half, super back half in some of these formats?
1: Yeah, we've been behind ADP on Dulcich most of the offseason. season. But it, I mean, it's kind of a good time in general, to draft right now, because you're seeing a lot of reaction. Like the ADP is moving a lot for late August. Um, so either you can kind of avoid falling landmines or like get values if you think they're there. I think Dulcich now has dropped enough where he's fine. Like I'll take a chance on the upside and the, the per route numbers that he's shown. Um, but I get this scare is kind of the scare that we've had priced in, which is like Troutman's going to play a little bit. And... Um, you know, he's not gonna be an ever down tight end and you've still got, obviously you have the wide receiver injuries, but you do still have Sutton, Judy, and Mims to contend with. So I'm pretty indifferent on him right now. I did think he was overvalued. So I guess I kind of think the drop has been, like think that's an appropriate reaction, the drop that he's had. It's moved to where maybe it should have been kind of from
0: the start. Another player who's dropping in this fourth round is Najee Harris. And I think part of the reason you're seeing Najee drop is because Jalen Warren on a per-touch basis looks – he looks awesome. Um, And I think that he does some things that, you know, the Najee Harris haters kind of like. He's a little more explosive. He broke up a 62-yard run. Uh, Najee Harris's reception total went down massively from year one to year two. I think that's kind of a slight concern for me. Where are you at on Najee Harris? Um, Last year, Mike, you identified Josh Jacobs when he was falling in drafts as a guy – that you know we should be considering uh the community was definitely not with you on that you look very sharp i've seen the naji harris could be this year's josh jacobs um if he falls into like the fifth round where are you at on naji
1: yeah i'm mostly out on naji i mean you start talking to the fifth round like i'll listen but even then like the cost on josh jacobs had dipped even further last year and he was sort of like i know people freaked out over the hall of fame game where he played like a drive and was good on that drive but he was sort of like the the clear-cut back. Like, Zemir White, I, I guess, was a rookie. People thought maybe he could do some stuff. The Najee situation is a little different to me where we've already seen them, you know, work in Jalen Warren last year. Jalen Warren looks really strong. There's some advanced rushing metrics that Jalen Warren's better at. So I think it's a little bit different situation where people kind of just like, you know, Ooh, Josh Jacobs is gross. Like, I don't want him. Whereas here, I think the concerns are maybe a little bit more legitimate. At cost, where it's like, not sure what the ceiling is, and it's possible the downside's quite big. So in general, I'm out on Najee. If he did start to fall in the fifth, I might just be like, okay, it is a back who has shown workhorse potential, even if the efficiency upside hasn't been there. And and you know, I'll take my chances. Um, as you saw with Jacob,
0: sometimes the efficiency can turn around. Rapid fire, in or out on Joe Mixon at ADP? Out. I think I'm out too. He steamed up too much. It was like the brief period of time where, you know, you know, Twitter had him going to jail or something and you could get him in the sixth round. And now he's steamed up to the fourth. I saw him go three twelve the other day. I'm out. I'm out at that price. Um, Let's pivot over. We talked a little bit about structure. Now it's time to look at some guys that are moving up and down um, draft boards. Last night I took Amon Ross St. Brown with the one Oh seven in an NFFC league. He's gone one Oh five twice in the NFFC primetime. He's absolutely living in the first round of FFPC main events now. Uh, the days of getting him in the early second are kind of gone. Where are you at with Amon Ross St. Brown, Mike? Yeah, I'm I've, I think you could take him as high as seventh in NFFC,
1: which I'm guessing with it because the three wide receiver format, I'm guessing you probably took him over Eckler or something. Yes, yes um, we did. So, like, that's definitely a difference between the format between FFPC and FFC. Like, you can start four running backs and two wide receivers in FFPC. And FFC, you have to start three wide receivers. And we've got him a slot behind Diggs. But, like, I think that's – they're somewhat interchangeable at this point. So, I'm I'm pretty into the Amon
0: Ra hype. Let's stick with the Buffalo Bills. You mentioned Diggs. Uh, Diggs, do you feel comfortable taking how high? I'll take gibbs i'll take gibbs oh my god i can't talk
1: theo i will take Diggs. got too much jameer gibbs on the brain um like kind of the same as amon ra right like that that seven eight spot um he just hasn't had a lot of hype so i think people are maybe like a little fatigued on him but i think he's still the clear number one target on one of the best offenses in the league and he's still in you know, an okay age range. You know, I don't think we're too concerned about the age cliff drop-off yet. So I think
0: he's pretty solid first round mid back into the first round pick. Yeah, I mean, I've heard the argument that kind of where he's going, it it seems like it's a, a safety pick rather than you're not you're not really there's there's not a whole lot of unknown upside. There could be potential potentially more target competition with Gabe Davis healthy and Dalton Kincaid in there, maybe James Cook commands a little bit more than Devin Singletary. But I agree with you. Like Stephon Diggs is absolutely not going to hurt you. Uh, it also gives you potential correlation with Josh Allen. But, Mike, you are a big Buffalo Bills fan. We I've talked to Mike Shope this offseason a ton, who's my go-to source for Bills information. I think Mike is super tuned in and super sharp. Where are you at on James Cook? Because we last time we talked, I was on the James Cook path, um, I believe – you like Damian Harris and him kind of equally a couple months ago. Am I correct on that?
1: Uh, at cost, I like them about equally. I like Cook a little bit more. Um, you know, it's, it feels like we go through like eight different draft stages. I know, so I know um, with ADP shifts and stuff. I got a lot of Cook early when he was more like going in the 90s, right? Um, I thought he was basically the same bat as last year, but better. Like, I think sometimes we have too high of expectations these rookie years. And like, because he didn't have this breakout year, people were treating it as like a negative. Whereas to me, it was like, oh, he was efficient, did some things and now they don't have Devin Singletary. Like this, this is good, not bad. Um, But now I have some concerns that like, I just don't know what the workload ceiling is for him with him getting so steamed up. I know Levitan still really likes him. So I'm growing to like be okay with him around, pick 70 the ffpc adp now is like mid 60s um probably a little rich for me um i could just be wrong on that but i do think it's going to be like one of those annoying situations where latavius murray and damien harris do like just a little bit more than people are expecting um so i think he's like okay at adp but like i'm not itching to get him anymore initially i was way out on the adp rise it's like grown on me some
0: it's it's like the gift and the curse of the early drafting is I have a ton of James Cook and it's like in the eighth round. So it's kind of hard for me to kind of adjust and take him like end of the fifth, sixth round. But I do think he's going to beat ADP. I, I think he's extremely explosive. I agree with Adams' takes on him. Um, And again, I think that the Bills really want a back like him. You know, we saw they tried to sign JD McKissick. Uh, you know, there was they were flirting with trying to get involved with uh, Christian McCaffrey Um, They've been like they want kind of a a a more talented back uh, with the ball in his hands than Devin Singletary was. Singletary was a little more of a compiler, so I'm I'll say I'm neutral at his ADP, but I will say Mike, the annoying thing about James Cook right now is it's literally impossible to know when you need to take him in your draft because he's one of these guys that can go in the fifth round and he could fall to the seventh. He's like a wide range depending on the conviction of your league mates. So uh, definitely a fun one to discuss. Dalton Kincaid is a rocket ship right now. Guy looks incredible, Mike. Tell me you're on the Kincaid uh, train, or are you apprehensive? I'm such a homer. I'm a, I'm a little bit on the train. Like,
1: we have him ranked behind ADP, but I find excuses sometimes to draft him just making the, you know, justifying it with the upside argument at that point in time, because really who you're competing with when you're taking Kincaid is like Tyler Higbee, Dalton Schultz, I think those guys are really solid. If you were to just bet them median PPR points versus Kincaid, maybe they come out higher. But I still think this ceiling is is really large, and you know they don't have a lot of depth, right? Like they've got Diggs is like an alpha one. You've got Gabe Davis who's going to run a ton of routes, but he's going to be a low targets per out run guy, and I like Gabe Davis, but. He's not going to be like a 20 plus percent target share guy. He's going to be a really efficient, like, guy in the teens. And then you've got nothing, right? Like, you've got Dawson Knox, who's going to play like inline tight end. And then you've got like Shakir and Sherfield and like Deontay Hardy, some of these gadget guys who's just not depth. So there's a lot of routes to where, you know, that Kincaid is finds that middle ground between having enough targets that he can have the volume that he needs to hit a ceiling, but then he does have some coverage from Gabe Davis being a big play guy and digs being like the team's number one
0: that should help him on the efficiency side of things. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. Like I've, I've been pounding the table for Kincaid for months and I think the market is, is kind of coming around, but I'll say it's, it's a funny thing because you know, people often talk about I'm going to take early tight end or I need to get guys with incredible upside and maybe wait a little bit. But if you get burned on a Kincaid pick, you can always make up for it with one of these floor guys in, in some of these formats. These guys pop up on the waiver wire every single year. And I think there's few few tight ends that offer this sort of upside. I mean, if you just simply look at the number of tight ends that command 90 targets, they're very few every single year. And I think that that's in Kincaid's range of outcomes with with spike weeks that can win you, win you your week, uh, especially in tight end premium. So I am in on Kincaid. Um, definitely love hearing your takes on the Buffalo bills and, and good hearing you on Gabe Davis. It seems like there's a little bit of uh steam. He's Dude, inside of the serious steam. Yeah. Um, In-
1: you mentioned with cook, like you don't know where to draft him. That's how I felt with Gabe Davis, where some of these teams I've taken Josh Allen, I mentioned early and just hope to figure out the stack later. I, I, where I, When I go to look for Gabe Davis, where I think I'm going to be able to get him, he's, he's long gone a couple yeah. of times. So a lot of variance in where he's going right now. I think he's now valued appropriately. I think he was undervalued for a while. Um, kind of the, again, James Cook situation a little bit where last year was disappointing. I think we'd shave some off the ceiling that he's probably not going to be a high targets per route run guy but he's still going, you know, he had an ankle injury that I think is like underplayed like that probably affected his efficiency and like, he's still the clear number two wide receiver. That's going to run 90 plus percent of the routes while he's healthy for a Josh Allen bills team. Like I'm still in, he's got big playability. Like I, I still think he's a, a decent bet, even if he's never going to be like, a guy that could potentially overtake digs like that outcome that I thought maybe was there last year's off the table, but there's still some really favorable outcomes.
0: I think if you want Gabe Davis these days with the steam, I think you got to take him at wide receiver 30. And it's, that's the like, I think that's where he's headed for some of these Vegas drafts. Um, When we get to like the days right around the, the start of the NFL season. And then the day after, just because I think the market is like, okay, Gabe Davis is healthy this year. He's being talked up. And this is the big play guy. And we've convinced ourselves once again. And Mike, you know, remember last year, it was insane. The guy was going in like the second round sometimes. um, And now you're able to get him, you know, at a a spot, like you said, where it's probably a little bit more, you know, conducive to the the talent and and situation he is in. But what's funny is he's also on a contract year and it's not a great wide receiver class. Gabe Davis is going to get a monster contract from somebody this offseason and be like, it's going to be like Christian Kirk money for Gabe Davis so that'll be a storyline too
1: and you talk about how early he went last year I remember he had that like solid first game so the drafts that took place after the Thursday night game he people got real aggressive
0: I think I went and and high-fived you when he had a long touchdown we didn't know that that was going to be uh not every week it felt like (laughs) an every week situation when he ran away from that defense but want to want to focus switch over to some of these rookie wide receivers um, you know, this this has been a source of fantasy production for us. The last few years, it's been cheat code. Talk talk about the Justin Jeffersons, the Jamar Chases, the Chase Claypools, the Brandon Ayukes in the second half of the season. I'm on Ross St. Brown to close it out. The the list goes on. Where are you at on this class, Mike? Um, it's intriguing. We had four wide receivers go in the first round. So we know the NFL values these guys. A couple of these guys landed in situations where there's target competition. Who's your favorite one to draft right now?
1: So the guy I've gotten the most of is Jordan Addison right now. And kind of going back to that T Higgins conversation where I think like people are out on T Higgins. So there's no way he overcomes Jamar chase. I think there's similar vibes with Jordan Addison where it's like, there's no way he overcomes Justin Jefferson. So like, he doesn't have the requisite ceiling, but this is a Vikings team. That's going to have a lot of pass attempts. Like record wise, they're probably going to regress this year. Their pass right over expectation was solid last year. And if you look at like, I mean, Kirk Cousins doesn't scramble. So like the dropbacks are turning into pass attempts at a really high rate for them. Um, so I think there's gonna be a lot of volume for a team that really condenses its routes. I think like Jefferson and Thielen were like one and two in routes run last year, and you don't have a ton of competition. You know, KJ Osborne is probably just a guy. So I'm pretty in on Addison. Um, you know, he's got the draft capital, and having someone like Jefferson isn't the worst thing in the world. Yeah, you're you know, cap from a target ceiling perspective, but the efficiency, like he can still be a like a 20% target share guy with a lot of efficiency as the number two, number three there alongside Hawkinson and and Jefferson. So I really like him. Uh, I'm you know, draft Kings where the ADP is a little bit more casual, you can kind of get all the rookie wide receivers pretty consistently him, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Quentin Johnson, um, Zay I've been drafting maybe the least. Um, and part of that is I was just slow to come around on that. And by the time I came around the ADP jumped up, so I missed the boat a little bit, but I think all four of them, I mean, those are the types of wide receivers in that range, especially if you're talking managed league where, you're a little bit less worried about like the median outcome um, because you've drafted wide receivers ahead of them that you're starting that like these are the types of guys that can win you leagues because these guys can be drafted in first, second, third rounds next year. Whereas like almost all the veterans being drafted in this range, like it's very unlikely that that would possibly occur for them.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of with you on that. Like I think that all of them are fine at ADP I, and that's a an odd situation. I usually would be kind of fading one, but I've, been extremely excited about getting Jackson Smith and Jigba. That's kind of like my guy. Um, I'm big into his talent,
1: but he's fun, yeah,
0: yeah. He's super fun. I got him in the seventh of an NFFC last night. I felt like I was stealing, cool. um, and that was that felt really good. I got Day in the eighth round, so we went wide receiver crazy. Um, we're gonna stream that here on on Player Profiler a little later this week. That was with Dan Williamson of the Goat District. Um, but it's interesting because I feel like like JSN has steamed up, but the others you're always able to get one kind of at a decent range like you're you're always able to get it seems like an eighth round Zay um, Quentin Johnson usually is the fourth one drafted lately but there's there's a lot to like about him as well about the so the situation and the contingent upside so I'm in on all four I think you like the talent as well is there a wide receiver rookie that's not in the big 4 that you find yourself kind of galaxy brain in into taking a lot I know for me I've taken a ton of Marvin Mims especially when I take jerry judy um i took in a lot of marvin mims in redraft and in best ball i think that you know again we hate banking on injuries but if sutton gets traded or if sutton misses time if judy misses time or they de-emphasize tight end i think mims has a path um where are you at is there do you have your own marvin mims i don't
1: really i think mims is the one i've taken the most but i've kind of just on cost taken a lot of them (laughs) um uh I shouldn't say a lot of them. I've mixed and matched them. Um, They all seem a little bit rich on ADP, but like at the same time, especially in a managed league at a certain point, like I I don't care about like the projected points. I just care about getting that upside profile on my bench. So I'd like leapfrog them up our rankings a little bit compared to best ball. Um, I'm somewhat interested in in Rache Rice for KC. Just Kevin Cole um, had an interesting tweet where he looked at, like preseason target stuff per target data for rookie wide receivers and found that like guys that had higher targets per out run, higher target shares in the preseason beat what their regular season expectation would be purely on their draft capital. So I'm seeing like kind of this rice eight target game recently. And even though with KC, like there's a the concern that they're just bring the rookies along slowly. There's some opportunity there. I don't seem as like an incredible value, but it's one that I was like sort of out on that I've become more interested in. But I like him and Mims a bit more than Mingo right now.
0: Yeah, Davis Matic was big on Rashi Rice uh, when he was here on press coverage. I think he's interesting. I definitely want to check that out from Kevin Cole. This is why you listen to press coverage. I was unaware of this, Mike, and now I'm going to go check it out after. Um, Definitely want to check out that that research that Kevin Cole did because that's super cool. Want to pivot over here to running backs. Uh, We have a number of kind of – I wouldn't call them necessarily ambiguous because I think we like – two players at least in there this year. I think that there's a lot of backfields that have two guys who uh, drafters are excited about at cost. And the one backfield that seems to kind of be giving people a little bit of problems though, is Seattle because both of them are going pretty high. Like Ken Walker gets pushed up and Zach Charbonnet is kind of living in the ninth round. So there's not really a discount here. Um, It's kind of polarizing. Some people look at Ken Walker as an incredible value. Some people look at it as Zach Charbonnet is going to take away the high value touches. Where are you at on this backfield? Who are you pounding the table for at cost? Yeah, I'm very pro Kenneth Walker. He's one of my higher exposure
1: running backs. Some of that's slowing down a little bit just because other running backs earlier are starting to fall like Brees Hall, Mondre, and those guys Where like then structurally, maybe I don't need Kenneth Walker as much as I did before. But I'm really happy with him as like RB1 or RB2 in the fifth round. And my take on that is, one, like I don't think you have to pick and choose in a backfield and say like, oh, I either have to be, if I'm in on Walker, I have to be out on, you know, Charbonnet. Or like if I'm in on David Montgomery, I have to be on Jameer Gibbs. Like I kind of want to look at the bets individually. And I've seen an offense that could be pretty good. We saw last year they invested in the offense again this year. I see two guys that are going to take all the touches. So it's not like they're mixing in like a random third guy. And I think that you pair that with the rushing profile that Kenneth Walker has, which is a bit boomer bust. And like, that's been a problem has been like the success rate, but the efficiency upside of like him, like compared to like, you know, um, similar to like Rashad Penny was there, um, even looking at like maybe like a Nick Chubb type where like he could just have a really high yards per carry on a good offense. I th- I'm just willing to make that bet. Um, even though I can see like on a median case, he loses some pass catching and some goal line touches. And maybe he's like a small disappointment. Um, I still think
0: the ceiling is quite big there. Yeah, I'm with you. And I don't mind kind of the spike weeks. If he's my RB two. I think that that's kind of fun if you have a guy who can win you the week because RB two the scoring is kind of so flat with so many Mm -hmm. of those guys. Um, So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you. And I do think that it's, it's a very simplistic uh, way to look at things, but backs who were drafted in the second round who have a thousand yards in their first season, Mm -hmm. those guys seem to have future fantasy success. They don't usually disappear. Usually the rookies who have a big yardage total who kind of fade away are the guys kind of like the James Robinson types who are, you know, lower draft capital guys that, you know, maybe the team doesn't value as much. So I'm into Walker as well. I kind of think we'll see him in the sixth round a little bit, um, especially with Charbonnet looking good. Um, So I'm going to look to kind of add a little more Ken Walker as we get down in these uh, last few money days heading into the NFL season. Want to pivot over to the quarterback position, Mike. Quarterback this year, we talked about the big three. It's really a big four because Lamar Jackson keeps getting pushed up, especially in FFPC. In NFFC you also see Justin Herbert get pushed up big time. Uh Joe Burrow gets drafted higher there in NFFC as well. How are you attacking the quarterback position? And let's take this to redraft. Um are you more inclined to take one of the, you know, let's call them the big 3 quarterbacks or are you looking to kind of take shots on the mid-tier QB ones or, or are you looking to wait? This is where Honestly, I like
1: I'm hoping to get a few more drafts under my belt because I've been doing so much best ball because, I know, like last year, for example, I thought like Trey Lance, for example, Tom Brady, like those guys got really pushed up in best ball where the scarcity is a bit higher. But then in some of these managed leagues, just because people didn't need as many quarterbacks, those guys were dropping to like, you know, the 10th, 11th round compared to like sixth to eighth round. And I'm not sure what the dynamic is going to be like this year on some of those guys, which is going to affect things. Like if I can get Anthony Richardson, Daniel Jones pretty deep, like I'm willing to wait on those guys who I think have legitimate like top eight quarterback upside. Maybe they're not going to totally, it's going to be hard to crack that top three because those guys are so solid up top, but I feel more flexible at quarterback this year than in a lot of years where there's just a lot of pockets depending on if I can set up a stack or what's available and who drops where I could take Josh Allen in the third, you know, I could stack Justin Herbert, Trevor Lawrence, and like the fifth sixth round, I can wait and take Daniel Jones and Anthony Richardson. So I hope that's not a cop out. Cause it's, no, it's I, think, I think, I think it's actually, but...
0: I think that's actually the correct way to answer this because I've drafted a ton. And I think that the time you dive into quarterback, uh, if you're going to go early is when you feel like it's dried up and that quarterback gives you the biggest edge. Um, I think that it's kind of like one of those things where, you know, when you're on the clock, the the way you really feel as a drafter, it's like the greatest truth, truth serum there is, is being OTC. <laughs> um, so I think like for me, like, you know, we discussed how I took Jalen Hurts at the turn, you know, last night in the NFC draft, we took Lamar Jackson in the fifth for NFC, which is about where he goes with the six point passing touchdowns instead of four. Great. But But yeah, it's. I mean, we ran through Mike NFC
1: team that I keep learning more about Theo. Hey, listen, the waters
0: waters warm. If you want to, if you want to hop in a couple of these, Mike. You know, you gotta 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 get a couple in, man. I do tangent, but
1: generally the six point passing touchdown isn't great for Lamar. But I think this year we could see the passing touchdowns on the rise with Monken. I think it could be a little bit different. And I selfishly like I have a, a hundred to one ticket on Lamar to, to lead the league in passing touchdowns. So hopefully that works out for both. Well, guys. I
0: hope you cash that, and I cash two fifty k in the in the prime time, Mike. We'll, we'll we'll just you know we'll pop bottles in Vegas next time we see each other. Let's go. Um, and then I, I like your strategy with the late QB because what's funny is it's like a dichotomy where when Deshaun Watson is selected, you don't know when that next QB is going to go because sometimes drafters really seem to wait in these redraft formats. So I've gotten, you get incredible value sometimes on Jones, like you mentioned on Richardson. Richardson's a little different because I think that there's always a drafter who wants Richardson, but like Geno Smith, Daniel Jones, uh, you know, if you want Dak Prescott, you can wait big time this year. So waiting on QB is not the worst thing. And I think that the double tap, I haven't minded a double tap. It can be very annoying in season, but like I have a Dak Prescott, Anthony Richardson build. I have a Daniel Jones Geno smith build where i waited like considerable time to take them so i'm with you i think be be kind of neutral um with your quarterback yeah. uh you know approach
1: yeah and i uh, and uh, jones is one of my favorite targets right now i think he's pretty undervalued like he was qb9 last year and if anything i think this offense should open up more this year you look at the pass rate over expectation for them last year extremely negative the first half of the year second half including the playoffs got more positive that Jones got comfortable as they actually had some consistency in terms of who was playing wide receiver too. Like they had so many injuries last year. So I think the upside for him is like, I think the upside and the floor for him is like a little underappreciated by the market. And I'm glad you brought up the two QB thing because historically I would never do that. Right. Like I'm like, okay, you draft your QB. That's good. Like if you have to stream when they miss a week, that's fine. The QB market has changed to where you can't, stream as effectively like the guys that are putting up points are throwing the ball a ton are extremely talented are rushing you can't make up for that with like a slightly positive matchup from a guy on waivers so i think one way to combat not getting one of those elite guys is to just take two cracks at someone having a true breakout type of season so i'm a bit more into taking two quarterbacks than you know i think i ever have before in these managed formats
0: yeah, it's it's definitely crazy how the market changes so dramatically year to year, uh, especially like a one-off position like QB. Um, want to just pick your brain. Give us a couple of handcuff running backs you really, really like drafting right now, Mike, or handcuff pluses if you want to call them that. Yeah, um, it's hard because by format, like the ADPs can really change
1: a lot on these guys. But I was taking a decent bit of Tyler Algier um, who I just think Atlanta is going to run the ball so much. And he showed, you know, you met like rookie running backs with a thousand plus yards. Like that's pretty good. Obviously the ceiling is going to be capped as long as Bijan's healthy, but I do like these backs that are going to give me, I think a little bit of standalone value and then have that contingent upside where if Bijan goes down, I think it's like a huge hit on Algier. So I'm looking at backs like that, uh, Kendra Miller with this strong preseason and like, you know, he went from possibly missing time to now you've got him in a backfield with two aging backs and he's looked pretty strong there uh you know i think that that's a little bit more of a swing because the standalone value is questionable while Jamal and Kamara are there and healthy but um he's someone i've been drafting a decent bit as well
0: no i, I like i like the calls i mean bigsby is low hanging fruit but i think that he's got a ton of upside where and jalen warren these are guys you have to pay for I think one interesting one is Kyron Williams because you can get him in the 20th round. And I think that he's won that job. And Cam Akers has been somebody who we've never seen really string it together for an entire NFL season. I do like Cam Akers at cost, but Kyron, if you're looking for somebody super, super cheap, that's one I've been grabbing. And I think Sean Tucker, um, whether or not you're into Rashad White or not, Sean Tucker looks good right now. um, And you can get him in the 20th round. A shout out to Don F. Thomas. A Joanna, the the chat has been really lit. I we haven't had a time to throw a couple throw questions in there. I want to ask you one question, Thomas O'Brien. He's uh, in an FFFC, FFPC draft. He has Kelsey and Devonta Smith. Should he stack with Mahomes or Hurts? And this has been I've seen a bunch of people do this recently. It's very sharp. If you start with Kelsey at the one hundred and three, and you get Devonta Smith, and or you could do it at the one hundred and two. Usually, you force the hand of the team picking one hundred and one. And one of these guys is sitting there. Where which way would you go if they're both there for you, Mike?
1: Ah, uh, that's. I mean, flip a coin. Um, I think I'd go go Hertz. I think Hertz just has a little bit more upside with like the crazy rushing ability. Um, the argument for Mahomes would be, you know, you're down to like one point per twenty yards passing instead of twenty five with the FFPC, which is a small thing, but that favors Mahomes over Hertz. And then also, if you're looking at the correlations you know, the Mahomes and Kelsey fates are like more intertwined than probably the Hurts and Devonta Smith fates. So I could see the argument for Mahomes, but with having both guys stackable, I just take the higher ceiling player, in my opinion, that's Hurts.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. And I think if we're trying to get more unique, like every single person, you know, has a Mahomes, uh, Mahomes, Kelsey. Um, So, you know, not everybody has a Kelsey Hurts. So I think that that's uh that's my tiebreaker. Um, We're reaching up to an hour here. Mike, you've been super generous with your time, as always. We've seen a lot of league winners the past few years from that rounds four through, let's call it eight or nine range. Um, You have Cooper Cup. You have, you know, Josh Jacobs last year, Jamar Chase 2021 showed up in that, that range. Where are you at? Give us a couple of league winners that guys that you think could really tilt fantasy leagues this year
1: yeah I mean we hit on Kenneth Walker already but like really into Kenneth Walker I think he's an extremely strong strong pick in in that area uh Brees Hall as he drops like the ability to go wide receiver heavy and still get backs that have what I consider a round one type ceiling I think is is pretty huge and then you know we hit on the rookie wide receivers but like getting those guys you can get them like around six through eight I think they're they're extremely strong bets um I might've said Kyle Pitts a month ago, like the return, but I'm, I'm getting a little squeamish there. Um, but Darren Waller, in on, falling, in, on, so.
0: in on Darren Waller, Mike,
1: I'm, it's tough for me with how high he's risen. Um, I think he's going, I think he's a little rich right now. I definitely see the upside. I understand it, but I wouldn't say he's like a
0: target for me right now. Well, there you go. Um, Mike doesn't like any tight ends except for the really, really good ones. That's the that's the takeaway. That's the show title. Mike, let everybody know where they can find you. I highly recommend Establish the Edge. I listen to it every single week. Um, let let everybody know what you got coming out uh, content-wise. It stops to run where they can find you. Yeah, follow me at Two Hats,
1: One Mike on Twitter. All my content is either up on the Establish the Edge podcast feed. We're working on getting the YouTube channel set up for that as well. And yeah, just grinding out rankings right now every day and getting prepped for DFS and prop season come uh, the start of September.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. We're, we're almost there, everyone. Um, definitely tune in later tonight. We have the Deep End Invitational for four straight nights here. Um, Mike Shope and Adam Krautwurst are going to be hosting four shows this week. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, you also have Stack Hunters with Bradley Stalder. Mike's been on Stack Hunters. Great show that Bradley puts out. Um, and you're going to tune in tomorrow. Press coverage. I'm back with Jared Smola. If you like daytime, actionable information, you know we're right here for you. Jared's coming on at 12 noon tomorrow. That should be a great one. And then tonight I'm drafting an FFPC main event with Scott Barrett of Fantasy Points and a B-Bag Batoba of 1st and 15. We are going to stream it on Wednesday. So we're not going to stream it live because we don't want to get sniped. Um, Shout out to all the snipers who who have done that to me on on live draft shows. Mike, you know how it is. It's very, very tough in those. But follow Mike, uh, check out Establish the Run, and everybody have a wonderful rest of your day. Uh, Stick with us all week at Player Profiler. we got a loaded week for you.
2: Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, The people that get the site and get the show.